You want it through uh, through doing, not through dialogue. Don't tell, go, me, yeah. yes, yes. don't tell me, show uh, that, me. Don't tell me, show me. Yeah, don't tell me, show me. And uh, that is why, Kim, I, I, I just had to let you talk about the scene. I didn't want to step on your toes. I, I, normally, I'd just jump in, but like, oh my God, like if we're talking Batman, uh, I'm, just, I'm all over it. Oh, no, that's my best side. He tried, but Kim is well trained at keeping toddlers from interrupting, yeah. so she, yeah, she kept yeah, you yeah, at bay. Well done. <laughs> Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the comedy horror cult classic, Hocus Pocus. You're in for a devil of a time when three outlandishly wild witches, Bette Midler, Beaches, Big Business, Sarah Jessica Parker, Honeymoon in Vegas, and Kathy, the Jimmy, Sister Act, return from 17th century Salem after they are accidentally conjured up by some unexpected pranksters. It's a night full of zany fun and comic chaos. Once the tricky 300-year-old trio sets out to cast a spell on the town and reclaim their youth. But first... They must get their act together and out with three kids and a talking cat. Loaded with bewitching laughs, Hocus Pocus is an outrageously wild comedy that's sure to entertain everyone. Gotta love the VHS <laughs> summaries on the back. Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, no, um, Hocus Pocus, though, uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, films to watch during the Halloween season. And spooky season is upon us. And uh, with special yeah. films like this um warren you're not going to be any help so i got to bring someone that's really gonna actually you this know true. legitimize this podcast for once uh we've been watching uh house of the dragon together so i'm going to introduce her as my queen my lady wife kim welcome back <laughs> Oh my God! You're such a fucking dork. <laughs> Thank you dork. for that <laughs> kind introduction. Hey, hey, Kim, nice to have you back to the show. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, we need you up on this one. Uh, Hocus Pocus this is a special film on a replay value podcast talking about movies with high replay value. Uh, you would think, well, Hocus Pocus in a fifth season probably should have done it before now, but it feels right with Hocus Pocus two coming out. Yep. It, this is the perfect time to be talking about Hocus Pocus. Yeah, so we're we're actually recording this a, a, a couple of weeks before Hocus. Pocus 2 comes out. We haven't got a chance to see it yet, but Kim, you and I, we watch this film in preparation for the podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, we watch it around this time of the year, every year, it seems like. Uh, desperately trying to get our kids into it every year. It's like, come on, guys, come watch Hocus Pocus with us. Come on, you, you want to. Uh, we're both quoting it, um, so I know that we'll be definitely first, first day watchers of it on Disney Plus when the sequel comes out. Absolutely. I cannot wait. Um, you know, September 1st starts spooky season. Like, it just does. So, well, it's October 1st, right? It used or to be. You're already throwing up. Well, hey, I'm all for two months of uh, horror films. I mean, if we want to stretch it to two months. Yeah. It's like even our kids realize this because they're wanting to decorate the house now. So, yeah, they even know it's 
it's time. So, mm, okay. So going back to Hocus Pocus, uh, Kim, I, I, we've always had a shared love. I mean, since we've been together, mm-hmm. we're like, Oh, you me, Yes, you love Hocus Pocus. I love Hocus Pocus. I don't know if I've ever we've ever talked about this though. Like, how old were you when you first watched it? Um, is it like something as a kid? I mean, did you see it when it first aired? Did you get a chance to see it in theaters or? So I, I saw it when it came the, the year it came out, but um, I don't remember going to the theater to see it. So I saw it once it was um, either available to rent or on the Disney Channel. Yeah, um, but. Like it was one of those for me that I just like instantly fell in love with, you know, I just, mm-hmm. it, it, I love all things Disney. Um, but for me, this is one of those just classic Halloween movies that honestly, I've probably watched it at least once every Halloween since it's been out. Yeah. Like, it's a tradition. Yeah. At least once, sometimes multiple times. And <laughs> I can recite the whole movie pretty much. I, I can. I'm witness to that. Yes. Cause <laughs> I can like 80% Kim's like, yeah, I mean, she can, uh, every single line beat for beat. So, you know, what's funny is you guys love this movie way more. I look, it's a great film, but it's uh, of the, all the movies we do. It's one I've seen less than eight times. Um, uh, I like it. Uh, it's great, but it's not like one of my replay value films. But of course, I do remember seeing it in the theater as a kid. If somehow I remember this movie, seeing it, I uh, saw it at the Cinemark at the Huntington Mall with my cousin Kara. Uh, it was in the summer, which I was like, that can't be right. I remember seeing the summer. I, it, yeah, it was in the summer. A Halloween movie about Halloween taking place on a Halloween came out in July. What the fuck? So, so I guess it could be released like for rent or on TV by Halloween. I don't know. It, back then, your know, movies took a lot longer. A little longer bit of a holdover. Yeah, on VHS, they didn't come out within a few months or a few. You know, now it's like a few it weeks. It wasn't like a 45-day break. So you wouldn't have been yeah. able to get it on TV until the following year. One of the reasons that it came out in July is because they wanted to capitalize on kids being out of school and they didn't want to compete with some other bigger releases in in, in the Halloween season. So yeah. that is why you saw it in the theaters uh, in the summertime. You know, it's fun. Not just the Halloween films. When you look at like movies, the all the replay value list of movies that have the high people rewatch over and over again. Hocus Pocus consistently ranks in all those lists for good reason. So it's fitting me. a film to be covering on the podcast. Let's start right there, Warren. Uh, unlikely story, but how did this movie get made and who made it? Above the Line, distributed by uh, Walt Disney Pictures, uh, produced by David Kirshner, Steve Haft, written by Mick Garris and Neil Cuthbert, and directed by Kenny Ortega. And i got to give a shout-out to special effects coordinator Terry Frazier, uh, who, has tw- who at the time had 28 years of special effects experience in 1993, but he comes from a long list, uh, a lineage uh, if you will, of uh, uh, of special effects coordinators. His dad uh, has been flying people on screen or uh, had since 1956. So he comes from a family of special effects coordinators. His sons worked for him on this movie, and he hoped that his sons would have their sons work for him, them. So it, it, it had to mention that. It's really cool anytime okay. you see a family that works, you know, multiple generations in the business. Yeah, somebody, somebody behind the scenes probably, you know, you never heard that name before. Um, many people not familiar with uh, the casting or the, the the crew of the film that is, that is cool though that you can kind of carry carry uh, that that 
craft down through through the, the generations. So nice. Yeah, I think the first film was Forbidden Planets that his dad worked on in '56. So it was like one of those B movie sci fi. Because but his family played an intricate part into making people fly convincingly on on screen. Even though you can see the wire sometimes, I mean, it's semi convincingly. Yeah, but it's you know, 1993. Okay? Yeah, come on. Um, he said, directed by Kenny Ortega. He's a Disney vet. He was a choreographer first, but did a lot of directing, he did Newsies, uh, the popular Descendants films on the Disney Channel um, that have come out within the, in the past 10 years or so. Now, you mentioned this, uh, the, the, he didn't get a screenplay credit, but the story itself uh, was by David Kirshner. Who is a producer? Producer, producing yeah. credit. He was a producer of Child's Play, which you would never link Child's Play and Hocus Pocus. I mean, two completely different types of horror films. Uh, also known for an American Tale, uh, the Fifel films. Um, well, it, when you re- think about the originally, the, this story was much darker and scarier. I think that makes a little more sense. It, it does. That, the, he he didn't write the 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 movie that we ultimately see on screen. The lighter. No, the, the, what, what started it out is that he actually, this, this, the, the story, well, it started out as a bedtime story. He would tell his daughters back in the eighties, they would sit out on the porch and sometimes would be visited by a black cat that he, he nicknamed inks, which you can see, you know, Binks kind of came from that. Yeah. Uh, okay. And he would create this narrative about, oh, where the, the cat came from, and it was like a real person trapped in a body, and that kind of... It was a boy trapped in a body. Right, yeah. and that, that kind of evolved into a short story that was eventually published in Muppet Magazine. Kim, I don't know if you ever... Did you ever read Muppet Magazine, Kim? No, did you, no. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it was like a quarterly magazine. It would have like celebrities on the cover with a Muppet <laughs> just because they were so huge back in the 80s. Uh, but then it, it, was, it was published in one of those. It was mainly focused on like a short story of... The Sanderson sisters, but that was that was where it started, though. I think it's funny Kirshner told his daughter that story because adults did do that kind of shit. They tell kids stories to get their imagination going. Yeah, I remember our stepdad told us about the fountain that the little statues were creatures and they came out like we we would really thought that like it's a bunch of bullshit. So I mean, like <laughs> it just doesn't surprise me. Like anything, when I read that, I was like, listen, oh yeah, there we go. Anything to give your kids nightmares and so they were so scared that they wouldn't get out of their bed at night and come to your bed i think kim we, we probably can we try this. that we could try that does I that think work we try that. Yeah. <laughs> i want to try it on uh the working title uh disney's halloween house pretty generic yeah i mean it was again you had said a little darker it was about uh the the, the group of kids was a bunch of 12 year olds that were in danger and being scared uh you know in in, in these frightful situations uh, they probably wanted to do that and and had plans to opt it into a ride at Disneyland or something like that. It's probably where it, where it came from, uh, but yeah. then it did, uh, it, of course, shift into the the comedy through the rewrites. They made it out of the comedic touches, and they made the uh, the protagonists teenagers. Yeah, so I mean, the original pitch was in 1984. The film came out in '93, so it went through several different hands of people changing it, you know, having their, their own spin on it. So um, yeah, it was originally going to come out on the Disney channel to kind of help promote that. It was a new thing. So I mean, Disney just blows me away. Like they haven't changed. Like they'll take their time to get it right. And like, they'll take a property that no one else can make or struggle to make it. And they'll go through the, they'll, they'll just go through the blood, sweat and tears to figure it out and make it work. Yeah. I did see that though. Um, 
throughout its time, uh, at one point that Steven Spielberg was attached. Uh, of he, course he was. Yeah, him and Kirshner had worked together on an American tale. So he's like, hey, why don't you come in and do this and you'll help get it off the ground and direct. And he's, Almost the ninth Spielberg movie we've done. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, he saw that Disney was involved and he felt that Amblin Entertainment, his company, his production company and Disney were like, family movie rival so he's like i don't want i don't want have anything to do with it and, yeah and, and didn't want to get involved but it, it does have a spielbergian quality to it you feel when you watch this film kim i don't know if you get that vibe oh definitely yeah it's not spielberg but it, it has those elements there i guess mm -hmm. yeah because there's never really any sense of i mean the moment you think someone's in danger you get scared it immediately kind of they don't cross that line. Um, I, I don't know. I, if it, they made this, ultimately, the story very vanilla. I want to see the version that we were talking about earlier. I want to see the darker, scarier version. <laughs> the child's play version of Hocus Pocus. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Sign no, me no, up. No, no, no. I mean, it would not be a replay favorite if that if that were the case. Man, you don't know that. We do our scary horror films, too. Uh, production filming began October 12th, 1992. Mostly shot on sound stages in Burbank. That's got to be either Disney Studios or Warner Brothers. Now, just because it's a Disney film doesn't mean they shot on the back lot. Those movies, will, they shoot on each other's lots all the time. But my guess is probably just shoot at Disney Studios. But those are the only two movie studios in Burbank. Uh, and they shot a little bit in Salem, Massachusetts and Marblehead, Massachusetts. Which I was surprised about. I, I, you don't get that nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, where let's let's like do a vampire movie, go to Transylvania. Yeah, I mean, the exactly. Fact that it's they like you actually did a shoot witch in movie Salem. Yeah. and shot in Salem is badass. I fucking love. That's like the the ultimate location to do a witch film. Well, it has like a certain look. Like that town, mm -hmm. like a lot of like New England, has a very specific look that you couldn't necessarily recreate with just any old mm. random neighborhood. That's a good point. Now, you haven't been to L.A. We got Pasadena. We got <laughs> oh Glendale. We got no L.A. You got all the different geographic types of locations you need to we, we got places doubling for everything uh i did read that um you know kim that's a great point because i'd read that the sequel a lot of it was shot in rhode island which it does, oh. is it is that new england area so mm -hmm. you do have to it's quintessential write, you can't replicate that you can't go yeah. now a lot of the night scenes they shot were on a soundstage the daytime stuff which well, is, when you're cemetery and at the house yeah. that can be on a soundstage yeah but the, the outside stuff with the fall there is an essence sure. of new england that you can't replicate i think on a soundstage like one of the scenes there's the fountain i pointed out it's at night yes. and the fountain that's lit up and i said hey look that's the same fountain that they use in the friends intro and you're like, hey, I've seen that. I doubted you actually, and I was, mm -hmm. I'm gonna, look, I'm gonna look it up. And you, then were, that's right. the Warner Brothers backlot, yeah. so they yes. did use Warner Brothers. Yes. Well, okay, I was right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, when we've seen that fountain, you, when I was visiting, yeah, have, you, you yeah, took me yeah, out we, there. Yeah, yeah. A three month shoot. Uh, most films back then of this scale, about 50, 55 day shoot with the studio. Uh, it ended up wrapping on uh, February tenth, nineteen ninety three. And music of Hocus Pocus. I just want a great score by John Debney. Uh, the original uh, composer that was going to do the score was James Horner. He had a scheduling conflict, had to back out, but he actually did do the song, uh, Sarah's theme, uh, Come Little Children. Uh, I did read that, that uh, the same guy who did uh, My Heart Will Go On from Titanic did Come Little Children Holy in Hocus Pocus. Now, Warren, are you prepared for the greatest Easter egg that I will throw your way in the history yeah. of this podcast? John Debney. Woot, woot. Here okay. we go. John Debney. He he not only did this score in two weeks after Horner dropped out, 
he's not a John. I mean, it's not as recognizable a name as John Williams, but he has just a, an illustrious list, a, a list of credits, film credits to his name, Elf, Bruce Almighty, Emperor's New Groove, just to name a few. I mean, but the, the list is long and distinguished. You're going to pump them up. You got to list some more titles. Oh, I got you. Jesus. I got you. No, no, no. I'm going to list one that's going to do it. This is the Easter egg here, Warren. <clears throat> he has done the score to two documentaries, one of which was a documentary that came out in the year 2000 by the name of Michael Jordan to the Max. Oh, he did MJ to the Max? He okay, did MJ awesome. to the Max, oh, the score I to this. I love that documentary. Yes. We've seen that so many times. This is the same guy that Hocus Pocus did that. How about that? That's great. I love that. Yeah. That's Wow. Well, <laughs> you can see they, yeah, that, that, that MJ to the Max is very much scored like a film, so that makes a lot of sense because yeah. there are some movie music moments uh, in the Jordan footage for sure. But same guy uh, that did that. So That's great. And we move on to the stars of the picture. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy, Omri Katz, Thora Birch, and Vanessa Shaw with Doug Jones. Doug Jones, yes. Doug Jones, Jones man. Yes, yeah, Billy Butcherson, yeah. I'm a big Doug Jones fan. Fucking killing it. Love Doug killing Jones. Killing it. Yeah. Before we get into casting, well, actually, I don't want to step on your toes, Phil. You want to lead it off of casting. I know what, what you're going to say. The biggest, the biggest what if out there. At one point, Leonardo DiCaprio was offered the role of Max and turned it down so that he- Well, could- he auditioned- Oh, he did audition. Oh, that and he, but well, that's what he was so fucking good. Is he auditioned for a couple things? They offered him the job on a couple things, and he he took he took Gilbert Grape. He took Gil. I mean, they got him his first Oscar nomination. So what a mistake for that guy, you know? What a mistake. Jeez, what's he? I mean, you could have been in a. (laughs) Talk about the last DiCaprio movie he passed on. We did uh, Boogie Nights. Remember, he passed uh, on the Wahlberg part. I mean, but this. I mean, we could. He could have been in a cult classic like Hocus to do Titanic. So it's like both times. I feel like he made the right choice. What an idiot. Jeez, I mean, just consistently makes the wrong decisions. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell also passed on a part uh, as Mary Sanderson. Yeah, she didn't want to be a witch that killed children. And so Kathy and Jimmy... <laughs> Get over uh, yourself. Ka- Kathy and Jimmy didn't uh, want to take on the role because she did not want to misrepresent witches uh, on screen as them being evil, um, but ultimately decided to, to do it because she was a Bette Midler fangirl had almost like stalked her for 15 years and was like, I got to work with Bette Midler. I don't care. We're going to do this. And now you talk about an Easter egg that blew your mind, Kim, Phil, I'm going to have an Easter egg that's going to blow yours. Sarah Jessica Parker, in preparation for this film, discovered that she was related to a witch. Her great-grandmother, Esther Elwell, was arrested a felony acts of witchcraft. Whoa. And she also like choked a neighbor or something like that too, right? I didn't get into details, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Just the highlights, just the cliff notes. And the, probably one of the biggest what ifs is Winnie was originally written for Cloris Leachman, Oscar Emmy winner. Yes, oh. I, I did come across that as well. And um, actually, that was a big part of the reason that this film, you know, we talked about the pitch being in 84, it went a while without being made. One of the things that helped get it out of development hell and get it running again was when Bette Midler showed interest and came on board. That's at the point where they said, let's make this. Hey, we got Bette Midler. It doesn't need to be on Disney Channel. Let's 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 bump this to a theatrical release. I mean, when you've got a name like Midler attached to it, I mean, it, it, it does it does elevate it. Yeah. And that'll take us to actors Mount Rushmore. So looking at the cast, 
Uh, Kim, this first time we've had this topic uh, in this segment with, with you being on. Actors Mount Rushmore means if you look at their Mount Rushmore, their top four films of their career, what they're most known for, or their best performance, kind of all quintessential four films. Yes or no, would this film be on their Mount Rushmore? Bette Midler, yes. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, she's so good. I mean, she's so good and she's done so much, but children of all ages know her. It's a generation spanning recognition. Yes. That you get with this. Yeah. So it's like, you know, kind of growing up in the 80s, you know, I've seen a lot of Bette Midler films. And that's probably why you saw it when it came out. You're like, oh, Bette Midler. Oh, yeah. I, like, see I this love her. Video. She's awesome. Deal, yeah. Um, but it's something that like our children know her like they, 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 they're not really old enough to know actors names and get into <laughs> although, it like that. Although Reed did recognize Tom Hanks. He's like, Hey, we were watching big and he's like, hey, that's, that's Woody. Woody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, that, that, that's amazing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty impressive. Uh, Je- Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm going to say yes. Now yeah. look, sex in the city is what she's most known mm-hmm. for. That's her, what her, the apex of her career, Yeah, but that's television. I mean, it's high goddamn HBO. So, I mean, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we, we talked about that with Christian Slater in the True Romance episode. It's like, do you have a Mount Rushmore for television and film, or is it mixed? I mean, or you just know, acting in general? Acting it doesn't in matter. General, yeah. Well, I mean, even then, she, she, she had some, she's been in, Sarah Jessica Parker made some good movies. That's um, what I'm saying. You could, have, you, could, yeah. Yeah, you could have it for both. Um, so I think for film, 100%. Yeah, yeah me too. 100%. And the Jimmy, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sister Act, Sister one Act. and two, uh, Hocus Pocus, and then I'd say Birch. <laughs> I think the only one that doesn't have it on his mouse, uh, their Mount Rushmore is Doug Jones. <laughs> you know, he, I would say. I was going to say, yeah, yeah Doug Jones so is much. the only one. Uh, I was going to say uh, Thor Birch, yes. Uh, this, yeah. uh, American, American Beauty, Beauty, Patriot Games. Yeah. Shaw, Cat, Sean Murray, uh, who's went on to be on NCIS, but all those are this uh, is on their Mount Rushmore. The only one, like you said, Phil Doug Jones and Charles Rocket. I would say this isn't his apex either. So, now Doug Jones, Shape of Water, you know, Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, he's really well known in some big films. Done so many great movies. Uh, but uh, Charles Rocket uh, did um, Dumb and Dumber, and uh, he was in uh, Dances of Wolves. So he's been a lot of big movies. Well, interesting. Um, you know, a lot of the actors are main. They're only known for this, other than the the, the Sanderson sisters and Doug Jones. Um, Sean Murray, who played uh, Thackeray Binks, the I guess the human version of him in the film, did not actually do the voice of the cat Binks, which they sound very very similar. So I did not know that until I was researching the film. Jason Marsden, no relation to James Marsden. Uh, was uh, was the voice like he over he ADR'd over Sean Murray, yeah, as the cat, which is kind of weird because they sound so kind of like to Christopher each other. Reeve with uh, Superman, of most yeah, or, or you know, uh, David Prowse and uh, James Earl Jones, but it's just I don't know, they're so close sounding. That it was kind of surprising that they would. Well, do David that. Prowse and James Earl Jones is different because he's in a suit and you don't have no, no, the, 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 yeah, that that was extreme. Like they sound completely different, and of yeah. course it's James Earl Jones works for but, the best. But this with Murray and Mars, and they sounded so similar that it was weird they did that. Sure. They did it that way. Uh, biggest benefactor. I'm going to lead off with my answer. I think it's Sarah Jessica Parker. Look, they're all, everyone in this cast is fantastic, but when you look at the run she had in the 90s and then into the early 2000s, mm. uh, Ed Wood in 94, Miami Rhapsody in 95, 
First Wives Club in 96, Mars Attacks in 96, and then she had Sex in the City in 98, and it's just off to the races at that point. I agree. This really kind of kicked it off for her. I mean, she'd been in things before, and we you know, aware of her, but this was really the thing. Done, done Broadway as a child. She's oh, yeah. been up and coming for a while. Yeah, but this is really the thing that launched her, I think. Well, I mean, you can also make it, I mean, of course, I mean, you know, launched her. I mean, she was kind of starting to become a name and being recognizable but i mean yes well she's definitely. already a name it just took her to the next level there's yes. levels to mm-hmm. this shit all right and she just took it to another this movie propelled her to another level i would yeah. say a, a close second to that or maybe even be a bigger benefactor would be vanessa shaw i mean this was the first film that she was in essentially i mean first main yeah. role as far she as was exactly the same she's still working i saw her in ray donovan mm-hmm. ray donovan uh, most recently. yeah, yeah. Had a lot of uh, uh, other roles, and I mean, has had a you know, an ongoing career. So uh, maybe not a household name, but I would say she was a huge benefactor from uh, the um, from Hocus Pocus. All right, Warren. Well, I, I mean, a yeah. lot, lot, lot out there. Who, who's your MVP? Who is it? Uh, well, look, the most valuable performance. You got to give it to Bette Midler, man. Bette Midler, look, yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a fearless on. leader. Uh, she, but here, more importantly. She fully commits to the part. She is so fearless as an actress. It's, it's, I'm, I just admire her. Uh, and, and I'm like, wow, like that she's just willing to do that and then pull it off. It's just, it's talent and courage married together in a performance. And it's just a sight to see. Uh, the physicality, the voice, the makeup, that she just completely transforms into the part. It's a really big performance that carries stretches of the film. And she makes the witches work. I mean, even her movements, like when she takes off with the broom, I mean, she just sells it. We just did Christopher Reeve selling the flying as Superman. She fucking sells the flying of a witch. Like the way she moves her hand and twists her wrist as she takes off. Like she, she's fully embodying the character. I, I, I believe everything she does. The conviction is there. You, you got to give it to Bette Midler. 100% agree. Yeah, a great choice. I mean, she anchors the film. Really does. Anchors the other two witches as yeah. great as they are. She is the leader. Kim, you agree? Any other choice for MVP? No, I 100% agree. I mean, she's yeah. perfection in this role. <laughs> Little bias there coming in. Yeah, Bette Midler fan. <laughs> uh, all right, stats and accolades of Hocus Pocus, as we talked about earlier. Release date July 16th, 1993, which Halloween in July, I mean, I know it starts, Kim, you said September 1st. We're, we're not quite to July yet. Give it a few years. Maybe we'll be there uh, on a budget of Jeez, $28 million. Four months of scary movies. Hey, no, no, no objection here. But uh, on a budget of $28 million, opening weekend, only $8.1 million was number four for the first week. Um, the movies that beat it had all been in the theaters multiple weeks. Uh, the Firm. In the Line of Fire and Jurassic Park, which was in its sixth week. So, Some I mean, beast movies. Yeah. Uh, domestically, it's had a couple of re releases, um, including those uh, total, it's domestically grows to 44.3 million. Worldwide, about another million. So, 45.3 million total. Ranking 38th at the year for the box office uh, totals. And the tagline and marketing to help sell the movie. Quote, it's just a bunch of hocus pocus. Just a bunch of hocus pocus. Jeez, I mean, it's kidding. You know, I mean, when you got to incorporate the title of the film in the tagline, I mean, eh, you know. It's weak. It's, it's kind of lazy. It's weak marketing there, yeah. Okay, yeah. 
Uh, Runtime, one hour and 36 minutes. Contributes to the replay value. You're in, you're out. Absolutely. Uh, you just yeah. move through the movie. Uh, rating PG. Uh, zero F-bombs, but uh, body count of six. Six? That many? Really? You got Emily, Binks, Winford, Sarah, uh, Mary, and Billy. And if you count the sisters dying twice, it's actually nine. What? Uh, um, okay. I mean, I think... Well, they didn't really die the first time, so I don't think you can count them twice. But you uh, count yeah, Billy. You didn't. Do. You didn't see Billy die on screen. Well, right? he goes back into the grave, like. Um, oh, so it's like he, he kind of like crosses arm. Oh. Yeah, his soul's at rest, and he kind of like goes back into his grave. Okay, so Emily, Thackeray, Billy, and the three witches. Those are the six. Emily's probably the f- most fucked up one, and they kind of just kind of put it. Or you really think about it? Like, hey, here's a Disney film. A We're going to kill a kid. Here, get, right, talk right. In the first five minutes. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you know what, though? You need that to believe the witches are dangerous. Uh, I want I'm more of that movie. young. Like Hansel and Gretel, you know? <laughs> Scores of the film, Rotten Tomatoes, 39%. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cinema yeah. score, B+. And Metacritic, 47. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, not a hit, uh, mixed reviews, uh, bad reviews. What am I talking about? <laughs> I'm sure turning in. He's like, movie got bad reviews. Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs down. Uh, Ebert, one out of four stars, uh, quote, dreadful, lackluster. Uh, yeah. Critics just took a, took a shit on the movie. Did, did we're, we're not fond of the film at all. Well, I mean, you look at it, 39% Rotten Tomatoes critics, 71% audience score. Um, so I, you know, you can't always look to this to tell the true story. I mean, there is a reason we keep watching it year in and year out. Yeah, yeah. But hey, you know, the critics don't always get it right. And uh, awards, uh, not really much to speak of. Zero Oscar nominations, no BAFTAs, Golden Globes. Yeah. No, you, uh, you think no BAFTAs, really? Nothing. No Oscars? No, no nothing, not a zilch. Uh, two wins and 11 nominations, mostly Saturn Awards, ACCA Awards, and Young Artist Awards. Music of the year for 1993. Uh, actually, just covered this for True Romance. This is the first time in the podcast where we've done the same year back to back. After 100 episodes, uh, hey, who gives yeah, a shit? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> the, the two films couldn't be more different, True Romance and and uh, Hocus Pocus. And a lot of great films came out that year. But great song, too. Grammy record of the year. And number one on the Billboard Hot 100, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Double crown winner there. Wow. Movies of 1993, top at the box office. Number one, Jurassic Park. Number two, Mrs. Doubtfire. Number three, The Fugitive. We have covered all three of those films on the podcast. And number four, The Firm. Got to do The Firm, man. By far the best John Grisham movie. It's not even close. So this is like the seventh or eighth 1993 film. So, I mean, why not? I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. 93 is a great year for film. Well, one film we're not going to do as great as it is. Oscar winner, <laughs> best picture, Schindler's List. Never not, doing not that a replay movie. Not a replay film. value film. As great as it is. Uh, so this was a d- double crown year for Spielberg. The year of Spielberg had the number one movie, The Box Office, and he had the best picture. I cannot it. watch anything World War II themed around Kim. It just cannot happen. She's just it's like, I get it. I know it. I respect the history. I don't need to see it again. Okay, it, just, I'm it affects done. me too much. Yeah, it's so, so sad and disturbing. Razzie winner, worst picture, indecent proposal. Average movie ticket price in 1993, four dollars and fourteen cents. Adjusted for inflation, that's seven dollars and eleven cents. Events of the year: the World Wide Web is born. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls won their first three peat. 
first one in 27 years. Uh, Waco siege took place. NAFTA signed. The Brady Bill is passed. And Buckingham Palace opened its doors to the public. All right, Kim. Let's get into what you really came here on the podcast for. Let's talk about our best scenes and lines from Hocus Pocus, starting with your runner-up for best scene, uh, Kim. I really love the opening scene where they're brewing Ooh. the potion to restore their Ooh. youth because um, what, you know, call back to what you see Warren this, said. You see this one? Uh, and a fellow appreciator for the opening scene of a film I, I, yes. after my own heart. Thank you. The opening scene is just, it sets the tone. It shows that these witches are dangerous. They're, yes. will, you know, they're willing to lure um, and abduct children and, um, you know, kill them, which is you know, <laughs> terrible, but it's um, a fun whole, movie. It's like, yeah, but, but it, but it <laughs> does show them. they're, they're dangerous. Yes. The real witches, the real witches. It gives them credibility. Yes, yes yeah. exactly. It gives them credibility that it's not just, it's not all fun and games. It's not just funny. They are dangerous. Tis time. <gasps> there it is. Bring to a full rolling bubble. Add two drops oil of boil. Yeah, I got it. It's heavy. You do that. I'll do this. Six blood of owl with the herb that's red. Turn three times. Pluck a hair from my head. Add a dash of pox. And a dead man's toe. Dead man's toe and make it a fresh one. Dead man's toe. Dead man's toe. That scene is just perfect because it is so immersive. You know, it starts with with Sarah's song, you know, become little children, I'll take thee away, which is like very haunting and beautiful. And then you're in um, the Sanderson cabin. Well, no, back up real quick. You know, you see Thackeray talk to Elijah or whatever. And I know we're not going to get to it in best line. So I, go ahead and say it here when they see the smoke. What, what does he say? He's like, quick, they conjure. Look, look they conjure. <laughs> but look, they conjure. oh god i mean it really sucks you in at that moment like you know you see exactly what they're all about you see their personalities come through instantly like you understand the dynamic of the three sisters like i feel like that scene is written and executed so well Mm. and i know it's probably just because i've seen it so many times but they do a fantastic job of bringing you as the audience in and explaining everything. Like you get the lay of the land in just a few minutes flat. They show it. They don't say it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they, there's no, it's what do you say? Warren, it's the, there's no expo, it's the exposition. It's through. A, the exposition. Well, you, you, you want it through, uh, through doing, not through dialogue. There don't tell go. me, yeah. show yes, me. Yes. Don't tell me, show uh, that, me. That, yes, that, yes, yes. Yeah. Don't tell me, show me. And uh, that is why Kim, I, I, I just had to let you talk about the scene. I didn't want to step on your toes. I, 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 normally I just jump in book. Oh my God. Like if we're talking Batman, oh, I'm, just, I'm all over. I know that's my best side. He tried, but Kim is well-trained at keeping toddlers from interrupting. Yeah, so she, yeah, she kept yeah, you at yeah, bay. Well done. <laughs> no, that, that is my winner uh, because I feel like that is the closest 
that's the version of the movie I want to see. That is the real oh, danger, nice. the real witches. You have the real, the, like even that that uh, the cauldron they use is just vintage, just classic witchcraft. I mean, just the appearance of it, how it's they're throwing uh, stuff in there, and the potion has like the, you know, uh, the the smoke coming off. Of, it's just perfect. I, everything, the, the the production design, everything is just flawless. They sell the cliche of the witch. Like you don't feel yeah. like it's like you don't feel like it though. You feel like you, you buy into. It so great you choice. Do. It makes it work. Everything is the product is pitch perfect. Even the way the brooms are designed. I mean, everything is uh, either the way the house is. It's just all the way you would imagine a witch's uh, stuff stuff to be. Uh, so I'll piggyback off of that just a little bit. The end because you know that seventeenth century version of the Sanderson sisters uh, with Emily Binks. It kind of exists in a bubble from the rest of the film. So my runner-up is actually the tail end of that when they're being hanged. I love that moment when they they kind of do the the pitch. You know, they you know they they kind of sing. Sisters and then, sing. Yeah. Sisters sing. Listen to them not. Fools! Oh. Ah, all of you! My ungodly book speaks to you when all Hallow's Eve and the moon is around. A virgin will summon us from under the ground. <laughs> we shall be back, and the lives of all the children shall be I love that part there specifically when they are being hanged and the, just their reaction to it, specifically led by Winifred. But one thing I can appreciate, it is one of the greatest transitions to present day, how it takes off. You're in the moment of the 17th century, and then suddenly it's the teacher in the classroom telling the story. Just a beautiful, it like there's no like scream and then cut away where it says present day. It, it delivers it to you through a story uh, through storytelling. And I like how everything has kind of been made into a museum. So when you go back to the house, like everything's yes. kind of in a glass I mean, case and stuff. All that's really brilliant genius. choices there. Yeah, so. really, really good stuff. All right, so Warren, what was your runner up though? My runner up is the cemetery scene uh, when Winnie casts the spell to bring back Billy. Unfaithful lover, long since dead, deep asleep in thy wormy bed. Wiggle thy toes, open thine eyes, twist thy fingers toward the sky. Life is sweet, be not too shy. On thy feet, so saith I. He sits up, the kids scream, and he's like, what? He like looks down, he's like, the clothes are kind of fucked up. And then he turns around. <laughs> he turns around and looks at a tombstone. He's like, oh, shit, I'm dead. <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't say that, but his expressions, his, uh, the, the, what I'm saying, yeah. I'm, I'm providing the inner the dialogue that he's having in his yes. head. He doesn't um, realize he's dead. And so when he turns around and the way he hangs his head, he's like, ah, oh, shit, I'm dead. <laughs> I fucking love that. That was almost my winner. That is like... 
probably my favorite like moment of the movie uh, is when he does that. It's so well done by Doug Jones. And I think that just speaks to to Doug Jones' um, extraordinary acting ability. He's such yes. a strong physical actor. And it's like everybody has seen him in so many different things and they just don't realize it's Doug Jones because he's always under a bunch of makeup or prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But it's like he's so good you can get all of that from it. Mm. And even even like kids can get that from it. Like our kids watching it can like fully understand Billy's thoughts just exactly the way Warren described them because he's portraying that so well. Good choice. Good choice. All right, Kim, uh, pass it back to you. What's your winner for best scene? Um, I really love the I Put a Spell on You song. Yes, we matched up. That's my winner as oh well. My God. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Thank you, Max, for that marvelous introduction. <laughs> I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. <laughs> you can't stop the things I do. I ain't lying. <laughs> In 300 years, right down to the day, now the witch is back, and there's hell to pay. I put a spell on you. Good joke. Happy Halloween. Thanks a lot. No, man, I'm serious. You got to end your watching. a great scene because you guys love um, musicals uh, yeah, it's, guilty like, as charged. it's like a musical in the movie it's like it's like within the film right there that scene yes. is a musical and it's great i mean how do they know the lyrics how do they know the backup vocals uh, who, who cares it's great I love yeah it. it doesn't matter but it's it's such a good scene because the kids are there and they are like oh we've got to where all the grown-ups are and we can tell the grown-ups what's going on and the grown-ups will believe us and fix this situation and that is not what happens at all. Yes. And the, the witches get up there and start singing and they're fabulous and the grown-ups are all into it and like this is great and then they end up of course getting bewitched and um, the kids have to abandon that and plan. And dance until they die. Well, well I mean, that, that, that's, yeah. the, that's the great moment because I mean, when you're a kid, and you're in trouble. I mean, the panic button is, I got to get to mom and dad. I got to get to my parents. They'll fix it. And so, like, they finally get there. The Sanderson sisters are there. Like you said, they're busted. They get the spotlight on them. It doesn't work. You're like, what are we going to do now? It backfires. Yeah. It backfires. So that, that yeah, I mean, clearly my winner is what I mean. Warren, I mean, as much as I love the scene you picked. I thought about it. I, I just, I knew on. it was a musical. I'm come like, on. Kim and Filler, I don't yeah, have to even yeah. do it. No, Kim and Filler are completely going to do this one. I can just move on. They're going to, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to cover it. <laughs> All right. Great choice, Kim. Uh, I have honorable mention here uh, and, and a couple of them. One of them though, and we didn't talk about this earlier, but it's got to be the cameo of Brothers and brother and sister Gary Marshall and Penny Gary Marshall and that's my Penny favorite Marshall, honorable yes. mention that's my favorite one Petunia Faye what just stop clicking we have company I don't care who I'm sick and tired sisters Satan has married Medusa see the snakes in her hair I don't want to play in this I don't want to play my three favorite witches 
Are you broads a little old to be trick-or-treating? We'll be younger in the morning. <laughs> yeah, sure. Me too. Excuse me. That was mine too, where he's Playing like the husband devil. and wife. Yeah, kind of creepy. And you're like, yeah, whatever. They're actors, man. Yeah, Fuck I it. know, but you know, it's a little weird. But no, it's great because like he, the devil. Of course, it's just like it's a moment where it's like this uh, misunderstanding. The fact that, that they think he's the devil, and yes. then there's moments where they actually it b- continues to pay into the belief. We're like, oh yeah, yeah. It's okay, like yeah. this misunderstanding. It's almost like this type of. I don't know, like a sketch comedy act yeah, or something like she's that. Like the where book, it's like and this, he's like, we'll get to the book later. And then she makes that face. She's <laughs> like, so great. but she can't say anything because he's the devil. Well, and I have a favorite line from that scene when uh, Penny Marshall's telling Gary Marshall, you know, everybody's out. Everyone's got to get out. And Sarah's like, oh, thou should not speak to master in such a manner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is so cute and funny. Great the delivery on that line is very good. Yeah. yeah. It's just adorable. And then the only other honorable mention I had kind of, kind of similar to what you had said, you had talked about specifically Billy at the graveyard when he gets resurrected, but it me, it's more so the whole, uh, the whole scene where they ambush, uh, Allison, Max and Danny, uh, and Binks at the graveyard and kind of, um, you know, they think they're safe because they're on hallowed ground and they fly in on their brooms, just kind of a classic, witch, you know, kind of chase sequence there. So that was a, an honorable mention of mine. Uh, all right, Kim, uh, honorable mentions for you. Um, mine is just Sarah in general. Sarah is such a vibe throughout the I movie. I love like, yeah, everything Lux Luther says. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah's because great. she's she's so funny and you know, she's charming and everywhere she goes, um, boys love her and she loves boys. So it's like everywhere they go, she is boy is- crazy. They make her that way, yeah. All right, Warren, honorable mentions for you. Uh, I've got a couple you guys nailed almost all of them. Uh, when the Sanderson sisters or witches see a bus for the first time. Oh, that's good. That's a good They're like walking on the road and they think it's like a, a river. They're like, oh, no, it's solid. Oh, it's some kind of road. And then they're just it's walking. <laughs> Their reaction is just, I love it. Um, the next thing they know, they get acclimated pretty quick. Then they're riding on the bus. And then, you know, Sarah's uh, flirting with the bus driver, as Kim was saying. Sarah's uh, in action almost right away. Uh, and then my last honorable mention is what kicks the film off is when the uh, airhead virgin lights the candle. Ah, okay. You relate to that a little bit, Warren? Airhead Virgin just making a dumb mistake, you know, like that. Uh, not really. No, I, I think that's probably more you, man. Damn it, damn it! I was trying, I was trying to sound cool there for a minute. Shit, that you're know, probably right. Okay. Um, all right, best lines. Let's just move on fired as quickly yeah. as possible. Uh, Kim, ignore. You didn't hear anything. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, best lines from the film. Runner up. Actually, I'll kick things off here. My runner-up, uh, it's said a couple times in the film by Winifred. It's just the simple. Oh, come to mommy. When she calls for her yes. book. I love that. Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, a few, it says it a few times through the film. All right, Kim, what about you? Runner-up. My runner-up is when, um, I know we just talked about it, but when they take the potion and they are turned young again, um, Sarah says, I'm beautiful. Boys will love me. Oh, yeah. 
always will love me. We're young. <laughs> well, younger. But it's a start. <laughs> <laughs> it's a start. <laughs> That's good. All right, Warren, runner up for you. Uh, when they're getting hanged, and uh, the um, he's demanding to know where his son is, Thackeray. Uh, he's like, uh, "Answer me!" And she goes, "Well, I don't know. Cat's got my tongue." <laughs> 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 Such a good line. That's, That's good. a great line. <laughs> very, very Love good. Uh, all right, uh, Kim, um, we may match up on this, and I got, I got a feeling. I got a feeling <laughs> yeah. here. Um, what is your winner for best line? Oh, look, another glorious morning makes, makes me, me sick. sick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was my. That was my. That was also my winner. Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, of course. And that, that's, I mean, just Bette Midler is just pitch perfect yeah. uh, when she said that. I had that as an honorable mention. Oh, yeah, you fucking great. moron. Oh, <laughs> Almost that's had it. Is, man, it's, oh, it's there's a lot. This movie has like 60 great quotes. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay, what was your winners, Mr. Smarty Pants? When uh, I think Billy tells uh, Winnie, go to hell. She's like, oh, I've been there, thank you. I found it quite lovely. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not bad, not bad. Okay. So, so Bette Midler just dominating the lines. Mm-hmm. D- dominates, yeah. Again, again, shows why she, you know, one of the reasons she got MVP. She she just crushes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, honorable mention for me uh, is when Max, you know, going back to your one of your honorable mentions for seeing when he lights the candle and says, Oh, come on. It's just a bunch of hocus pocus. Man, what are you going to say? You know that's my jam, man. I always love the lines that have the title of well, the movie. You know, I oh, that's my that's my thing. Is the Leonardo DiCaprio means like, look, he said yeah, the thing. From Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's. Oh, oh. Here I come. Oh, here I come. Oh. So, an uh, interesting thing about that line is shortly after they light it and then they get out of the cabin, uh, the, the, the cottage there and run away and they get ambushed in the, the graveyard. Winifred actually says to Max, oh, it's all just a bunch of hocus pocus. Like she's mocking him or imitating him. Mm-hmm. But he says that line before he lights the candle. There's no way she could have actually heard the line. Oh. But yet it's it said she says it like it's a callback. It's kind of like that mm-hmm. line in Dark Knight where um, he's a guy, you know, I'm going to play this one really close to the chest. But a character that wasn't in the scene is one that has well, a no, call. Christian Bale says it to Morgan Freeman. And yes. then Aaron Eckhart, it's like you do play things close to the chest to James Gordon. So it was like this same line with two different sets of characters to bring it full circle for the audience, but it didn't make sense for the characters. It was exactly. The so it brings it full circle. It's like a reference that Winifred, but she actually wasn't around when Mac said the line. So there was no legitimate callback. Anyway, still love the line though. Uh, and the, and actually the other honorable mentions uh, you've already said. So, uh, Kim, what about you? Any any honorable mentions? The scene where they're about to be hanged and they start to sing and they say, "Quick, everyone, cover your ears! Don't don't listen to listen to them not." And so the person holding the book drops the book and it flips open. And when he says, "Fools, all of you, listen to them not." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Again, Bat Miller delivery. That's a line that lives in my head, and I say it <laughs> more often than I'd like to admit. And I think those are the best, you know, when we talk about our favorite lines from the film, the ones that you get a high usage rate yeah. in real life, like we are winner, glorious morning, makes me sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times do you say that? Or, you know, these things where the delivery, the cadence of the actor, when they say them, it is you emulate that in life, like with the fools and and, and whatnot. So a good choice. Uh, any others for you? Um, I just like the come, we fly. Just the way she said it, and uh, like Warren said, like it's just all the 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 movements, the flourishes she does with her hand, and I mean, just everything she does, she just sells it. She's just perfect. Come, we fly. All right, Warren, honorable mentions for you. Okay, probably my favorite one is when uh, Danny says, "I'm not hungry," and then they kind of zoom in on the witch, and she's like, "But we are." I, that, I, that always stayed with me when I was a kid. <laughs> I just kind of remember that one. I'm- not hungry oh but we are and then you know bet midler has a lot of like recurring ones uh you guys love the way she says book mm-hmm. i got one i got one other audible mention and i mentioned it earlier but it's when uh the three sisters are about to get their door busted in at the very beginning and then she's like The one, two, three punch of the witches saying that. And then I love how Bette Miller's reaction after Sarah just lets it slip what they're doing. And she like jumps at her to close, shut her up. And ultimately, to no avail, it's to their ultimate doom. And then it cuts to them, you know, being hanged. Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court where Warren, Kim, and myself will recast the film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Gentle counselors. Ah, yes. Nice touch. You may be seated. Recasting court is in session. How we doing? Excited. Everybody, Kim, welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Gosh, thought you guys were going to throw me off with the lady in the room, but <laughs> I'm never thrown off when a lady's in the room. So Okay, calm down. Back up there. You'll take down about 20%, okay? I, I can't. I've been staring at... Uh, Sarah Sanderson for the last hour and a half. So, you know, I'm ready for this episode. He's a uh, Robbie, uh, you're like the machine in an interstellar. Let's uh, adjust humor by 10%, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just turn it down a little bit. Yeah. All right. You're like the male version of Sarah Sanderson over there. Your beautiful girls love you. Let's get, uh, come on, let's go on with it. Okay. No, it's, uh, it's delightful. Um, really, really interesting notes on this one. Um, so I, I can't wait to figure out which one of you mailed it in. Anyway, tonight we're going to hear recastings for Allison, Max, Mary, Sarah, and Winifred. Great movie. Can't wait to jump in. If it's okay, I'd love to hear Kim kick this off with who her Miss Allison is. Um, so for Allison, I picked um, Amanda Stenberg. Ooh, Ooh good yeah. choice. Yeah, I think she's um, she's got that right energy uh, where she can be a little sassy, but she also plays very... Uh, smart and savvy, uh, which are all qualities that Allison has. So I think she would fit really well. 
Yeah, did, isn't she just get cast in the Marvel Universe? She's like in a top secret project. I just saw her on Kimmel uh, like a week ago. I she have was no uh, idea. David Allen Greer was the guest host. He was trying to get information out of her. <laughs> and you know how Marvel is. You know, the loose lips sink battleships. You gotta you gotta keep it tight when you get cast in one of those projects. Well, I mean, she's such a great actress. I mean, no surprise they scoop her up. And 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 no, that's a great choice, Kim. Uh, she's got the range to do it. Um, so I I think I've used her this year. She was on my short list uh, for this role. So nice one. I'm also thinking someone that it can be a little sassy, can kind of take control. I mean, she's not there as a damsel, damsel in distress for Max. I mean, she's uh, very much uh, kind of the the lead in a lot of situations that the, that they're in throughout the film. I want the Storm Reed for my Allison. Uh, Euphoria, uh, Wrinkle in Time. time. I mean, uh, she's the lead yeah, in that. Yeah. She was on my list, too, my short list, too. So, yeah, I could totally see that. All right, Warren. Since you're mm. so good at these uh, yeah. child actors. No, no. <laughs> uh, in fact, we're at the end of the season, so you guys already know I'm swimming deep in the Stranger Things okay. pool. <laughs> uh, I got no other options, okay? Uh, but I got to say, after Stranger Things 4, I think one actress on that show rose above every other actor uh, in the cast. I think she is going to be a... Big time actress, uh, have a big career, and she's in this new film with Brendan Fraser. Uh, it's got Oscar buzz. I went with Sadie Sink. Oh, yeah, man. she's great. Uh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, of course, Stranger Things. You know, you gotta gonna gonna get a a winning vote out of me. I, not that I have a vote, but if I did. I wouldn't give it to you, but I, I would be, I'd be thinking about it because that's that's. Well, I hope not. You want to sleep on the couch tonight? There's a vote to give. You got to give it to your wife. What the fuck? No, I'm going to give it to myself. Go. This is this is a bloodthirsty competition. She's on her own. Forget it. Oh Jesus, he's savage. Well, uh, there will not be any arguments at Phil and Kim's house tonight because Warren's taking this one home with Sadie Sink. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, Warren, I'm looking at the list here, and based off what you just did, I'm thinking that you put a stamp on this envelope, too. Who did you mail it in for Max there, Warren? Well, see, just because you mail it in every episode doesn't mean we do. We actually work pretty hard on these. Uh, no, we it's don't. very easy uh, outside the eye of the it's hurricane. Like I fucking do. I suck so bad. I have to really work, and I'm still not any good at it. Um, look. For my Max, uh, you know, I, after casting Sadie Sink, I'm still I'm still doing laps in the Stranger Things pool. Okay, I'm a busting out the butterflies. Oh my gosh! I went with Caleb McLaughlin as oh my Max. My Pair them up again together. They're a great duo, kind of like lazy. A, no, not at all. Think about Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Some actors <sighs> really work well together, working on multiple projects, being paired up. They have a special chemistry. Sadie Sink is the one for Allison. I'm more or less giving getting Caleb. The casting because Sadie's already you're on mailing it. it in with Max because of the Allison. No, what is this mailing in thing? That's Look, what some it, actors you just fit really well to together. It. You said that you basically backed into the Caleb casting because of of picking. Sadie well, no, Sink they're connected. Allison. It's you. You could cast actors as a pair. Okay. I mean, that's been done before. They are a good team. Okay. That they they have a great chemistry. So I, I can definitely see that. Exactly. I mean, Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling is a great modern-day example. Great chemistry. Every movie. They've done like three or four I movies together. I cannot wait for him to cast Winona Ryder for Winifred. This is really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I went bigger than that, bitch. All right. Kim, who do you have cast as Max? Uh, for Max, I have uh, Zolo Maraduena, who is Miguel from Cobra Kai. 
Oh, look, uh, Stranger Things and Cobra Kai. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Our, He's our great. Our two favorite pools to dip into when we got a cast under 18. Well, perfect. Yeah, I mean, perfect for this film. <laughs> He's good. I like that. That's good. Uh, you know, Miguel, though, I think this Max, as much as I love that actor, uh, Miguel's kind of, uh, at least that actor, the, the character he plays Miguel on Cobra Kai, which is all I've seen him in so far. Uh, he's kind of the, the he's a good guy you know i mean uh, i would see tanner buchanan playing max because he's kind, max is kind of a dick oh i'm gonna light the candle even though everyone say, already said to go ahead and leave let's be honest we remake the film today max is a completely different character people are so loving towards their siblings now like there's so much about this movie that is very much a time capsule for a certain era but i mean max is a completely different character in in today's you know style of this i think i think well M- max is not a bad person he just has some selfish motivations that i think any te- a lot of teenagers his age are put in a new situation new town would have but he still has a good relationship with his sister he's still a good guy he's just maybe trying to impress the pretty girl he's not a bad guy is what i'm saying i i think max is is a good person uh he just what does he, his little sister say that he's motivated by a yabos yabos <laughs> that's such a oh, such a weird thing <laughs> oh my God. All right, Phil. Who's Max? Yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm with Warren. I'm in the Stranger Things pool here. I'm going Finn Wolfhard uh, as my Max because there is a little bit of he's picked on. He's kind of bullied. I don't, you know, I have a hard time envisioning that with Caleb McLaughlin now. Man, Finn Wolfhard elevated. in another horror movie after it and fucking guy. That guy's gonna get typecast. You keep putting him in these kind of movies, man. It's always a Ghostbusters. Fucking, it's all he's doing. Stranger Things, you know, yeah, like, like Caleb McLaughlin, you know, with <laughs> right. horror. Okay, right. this is comedy, though. Right. This is comedy. But Caleb McLaughlin hasn't done two other iconic fucking horror franchises like Finn Wolfhard has. Here's 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 what I'm gonna need you to do. Uh, cue the music real quick for me, Phil. What the Stranger Things music? Cue cue the music. Oh, yeah. Okay. Your new Max is. Caleb McLaughlin. Yes. We're just going Sadie. Yes. This is going Sadie. I got two kid castings (laughs) back to back. Hell has frozen over. This has never happened. Stop the show. I'm done. I I, got to walk out. I got to retire. I can't believe you're this. This is terrible. It's over. (laughs) Oh, my God. My podcast life has been fulfilled. I don't know. I love the uh, Caleb is the new guy from L.A. in like this, you know. Yeah. Virginia town. Yeah. There's so much about Caleb. It's Massachusetts, Virginia town. It's Salem. It's, it's, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Feels oh, like Jesus. Virginia. It feels like, you yeah. know, the Eastern seaboard, same thing. Man, Warren is so nice when you agree with him. It's amazing. Yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, so we're going to get into the Sanderson sisters here. Mary is on deck. Phil, who do you have cast as Mary Sanderson? Oh, we're not going to give it to Warren. I mean, he's being so nice and everything to you. I figured, you know, he doesn't do that. He always skips over me uh, half of the time. He's got all he's going to get here. I think just fuck him. Go on, Phil. What do you got? Uh, Yeah, Mary. I mean, there's a a, a physical comedy to Mary. Uh, Kim and I were talking about her earlier. Then this is all all three sisters are funny in their own way. But this is the one that's more kind of just kind of out there is with the physical comedy, kind of the punchline of the joke, a lot of the jokes and everything, uh, kind of silly. Uh, she's, a, she's getting her own box. Uh, I went with Maya Rudolph, SNL alum. Yes. As my, uh, Mary yeah, Sanderson. I too went with, uh, Maya Rudolph. Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Not just a friend. 
a partner. You have to. I mean, when you look at Mary Sanderson, the type of character, the one that smells children, uh, she's the quirkiest of the group. And there's a lot of comedic uh, ingenuity uh, on the performance of, uh, of Kathy, the original. And I think Ru- Rudolph would just be fantastic in the part. Uh, and you, I, I, I thought this was my best casting of, of, of this movie. I, I, I'm Which means you're going to lo- now we're going to lose it because you said that. Well, I, I, yeah, well, no, I, I just d- disappointed that someone else came up with it because I really thought I was going to uh, impress you guys yeah, with that I mean, You're the only person that can have a good idea. Right. Okay. Well, that's the one you know that I didn't quote mail it in like that. Oh, was the so one now I was you like, admit yeah, I could win an Oscar for that in. one. Okay. No, I said quote is in that what you guys refer to mail in. All right, Kim, who do you have as Mary? Um, so I agree, that Maya Rudolph is a great choice, but I'm going to challenge them with another SNL alum, Ad Bryant. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, that would be I, I think more realistic, but. Like if they're doing it today, because it's more of like a younger class, mm-hmm. you know, and an eighties recent SNL alum. I think she just recently left the the cast there. So I I think you know we, we talked about this the physical comedy. That's that's good. I like that. Like one of the things about Mary is she the physical comedy, but it's her expressions. Like her face is mm-hmm. just her expressions are just so exaggerated. The way she contorts her mouth. Yeah, uh, that, that's yeah, that's that's all the actor there. Uh, it's pretty pretty great, and I. I Look, as much as I love A.D. Bryant, if you've watched SNL or any of the projects that Maya Rudolph has done, you're familiar with her work, she's, like, born to play this part. <laughs> she's so – she would bring all the nuance and, like, uh, little things that, that, that uh, Kathy uh, did in the part, I, I think Rudolph would do. I, and then some. I, I, as much as I love A.D. Bryant, though, I, I'm just – I'm uh, beaming on, with my Rudolph recasting here. I, I think it's just – Fucking perfect. Yeah, a little biased. Our recasting yeah. film. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're a little biased. I, I like the 80 Bryant one. I like the younger class coming in there. That's good. <sighs> you're such a kiss ass. Uh, yeah, of course I am. I don't want to uh, <clears throat> step on the next casting at all, but Maya's perfect for this, and I'm so disappointed that I don't see Kristen Wiig on the Sarah casting coming up next. No, because, because I got one even better. Now, you get those two in this together. No. I'm telling it's you. It's a different type of movie. Something. Yeah. What, are you doing a Bridesmaids reunion? They've worked yep. together before. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, should we need a tiebreaker? Sarah Sanderson. All right. Uh, Warren. Yeah, finally. Yeah. I get to go yeah, when I sure won. Great. Uh, yeah. Sarah Sanderson. Just joking. One. Just joking. Kim, who do you have? God as Sarah? damn it. I got him. I fucking got him. Uh, that's good. Um, I feel like this is the perfect Sarah Sanderson. Um, Amanda uh, Seyfried. Damn it. I've already used Think her. about it. She She's beautiful. Um, but also she can really portray that kind of ditzy boys love her vibe. Um, I just feel like she would be the perfect Sarah. And, and this is why I'm the perfect third for this uh, podcast here as far as for the the competitors. Last casting, I matched up with Warren on Maya Rudolph. I'm matching up with Kim on this one. I also had Amanda Seyfried. Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Not just a friend. I love to see that side of like the ditziness. We haven't seen that a lot from her. We watched the dropout recently, Kim, Mm -hmm. and you kind of got some of that. She's going to win an Emmy for that. So good in that. It was great. She's great. You you saw, I would say most in mean girls, many, you know, 
about 15, mm-hmm. whatever many years ago. Well, that, I think that character's the closest. Um, mm-hmm. The Mean it Girls is. character's the closest to Sarah mm-hmm. Sanders. But she, oh, uh, man, she, she could just nail the beats of the Sarah character. I love, I mean, I obviously love that choice, Kim. That's a good matchup. All right, Warren, who do you have here? Yeah, well, Sarah, as I was saying, <clears throat> Sarah Sanderson, the witch that lures kids. Uh, I didn't go with Kristen Wiig because I got somebody even better. Kate McKinnon would be fucking great in this part. Uh, t- talk about just kind of the uh, the big comedy that she is capable of tied in with Sarah's uh, character. I, um, uh, I think it's a miscast here. I adore Kate McKinnon, but Winifred. I can see yeah, Kate. Wh- I would say Winifred. No. Yeah, oh, my Kate. God. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Not, not, not now. You got to go a little. The leader? Uh, more. Kate's Kate's big time. She's big boss. No, you, no you, you, oh, I went big time for my. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Miscast is Sarah, though. I don't see her as the Sarah. Whatever you're, I love Kate. I love Kate McKinnon, yeah. but um, nah, you guys, actually, I love her too. I think that's great. Yeah, just Kate McKinnon is the Kristen Wiig of SNL after Kristen Wiig left. She was the star of the show. She very much filled the same. I don't like type Kristen Wiig spot. for Sarah either, though. I, I don't. I think both of those are just slightly. Off. Listen, pretty good. you go Maya, you go Kristen, you go Kate, you go Stranger Things. It's a win, baby. <laughs> One of my favorite things is when a lot of these Hollywood types kind of do a passion project for their kids. And I love the concept of Amanda Seyfried stepping in and doing this like because of kids and like just the whole thing, you know, and yeah, that's that everything going back to do in time it. and doing the ditziness and stuff like that. Because she's a she's a very accomplished actor at this yeah, stage. Yeah, she is. And yeah, this yeah. is kind of not so much in the vein, but I can see it as a passion project for like, you know. Her being a mom and that sort of thing. So I, I love the Amanda Seyfried. This is what happens when I do a show with parents. God yes. damn it. That's right. So, Phil, who do you have cast as Winifred? Um, Winifred, you need someone that can be scary, but is funny without knowing that she's funny. I mean, that, so there there is a, a comedy to the role uh, that's kind of behind the scenes working its way in everything, but she's definitively the leader of the group. Warren, you, you were right. She keeps the other two sisters grounded. Uh, I went with Helena Bonham Carter uh, as my Winnie. Uh, I just think great actress has got mm, the, re- yeah. the dynamic range, yeah, got the yeah, performance yeah, yeah. aspects of it. Very yeah, dramatic yeah. delivery. Yeah, yeah. Again, funny without knowing it. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Good leader. Okay. All right. That That's it. All right, Kim, who do you got here? Um, I went a little bit, of a different direction. Um, I went for more of the funnier actress, um, but can play that kind of serious, um, you know, frustrated with her sisters can be kind of bitchy. I went with Amy Schumer because I can just see her, like think about her face, think about her in a red wig. Like think about her, like kind of bossing the other two around and being frustrated. Now, are you just you know? saying this because we just watched Only Murders in the Building and you just saw her? How dare you? <laughs> the recency bias there. That, I think that's How dare you? There. Yeah. I like I mean, the uh, I like the Schumer and the Mary role a little bit because bumbling sister, you know, kind of. Yeah. I did consider Melissa McCarthy for the Winifred the Winifred role, I, so I think it's kind of similar. But uh, I, the more I thought about it, I think the you know, you almost play the character. She doesn't know she's funny. She's trying to play it straight. Like the, the comic relief is the other two sisters with Amy Schumer. You know, that's big, loud comedy, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I, 
I think you go comedic with the other two, yeah. and I think you really go with the big time uh, craft actress with chops in the Winnie role, the the, the head witch. Mm-hmm. Bette Miller was very much that. Uh, she's classically trained, uh, you know, a triple threat actress. She can do it all, and you need that kind of craftsmanship to this role. You can see it in Bette Midler's performance uh, in every. The physicality, the 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 inner life, the the voice, uh, it's all there. Um, my Winnie uh, Sanderson, the lead witch. I thought of Joanne Barron, who oh, you guys God, don't you're know. Hyping it up so much. Hold I mean, on, just... hold on. I thought of Joanne Barron, who you guys don't know. She was uh, she's the head uh, drama school that I went to, Joanne Barron D W Brown School. She's acting a lot of stuff. I think she'd be really great in this. But and I, I hyped it up rightfully so. Okay. My Winnie is Meryl fucking streep put that in your pipe and smoke it is that her middle name i didn't know that okay meryl fucking streep Uh, i mean how i can't say anything against meryl streep other than just like almost an overcast seen her into the woods she's played witches she's so good she would be great at this into the woods that was going to be my reason for like thinking that maybe this was not the role no that's exactly because she's done that like no but it's a variation that's what i'm saying that's what's so interesting is you've seen her play a different type of witch and to see her play this it's just allowing an actor to go full range dialing it up twirling the mustache chewing on the scenery every good actor likes to do that it's very rare you get a movie or a part where you it actually benefits you to do it and and i think she would jump at the chance to uh to play it there will be several things i'll do in my life going against meryl streep and just about anything isn't one of them so i don't have much an option here yeah meryl streep's gonna take it's fucking meryl yeah taking hocus pocus Counselors, recasting court is adjourned. All right, fan theory time. So uh, not a lot of great fan theories out there. Uh, One of them was like that Winifred had always planned to take the youth potion for herself and was really trying to have, you know, uh, uh, Mary and Sarah killed just because they were kind of her idiot sisters, as she called them. She was going to make a selfish move and let them die. But, you know, I think there's a lot of circumstances of that not a great fan theory uh one that's the most popular out there is that allison is secretly a white witch oh yeah uh, oh you're, you're you're a believer of this Kelsey. i believe yeah uh, winifred actually calls her a clever little white witch at one point mm-hmm. uh, she shows great interest in the spell book um she comes from a rich family which probably has roots going back many many generation in salem they ran the museum there um and so there's a lot of she may not know she's a white witch like i mean she's a witch she can still walk on the hallowed ground of the cemetery without turning to stone so i don't know because she's good uh but like she immediately can interpret things in the book and like use the salt and like kind of notices that so there's like i guess it's not she doesn't know she is but i i I buy into the fan theory that that there is a, a subtext there that she is a white witch. Yes, 100%. Okay, so you're, you're an easy sell there. The only you. fan theory you fucking nailed it. Yeah, there's no there's no debate here. Well, I mean, there's a debate because it doesn't explicitly show it. I mean, you could say that any witch couldn't walk on hallowed ground, white witch or not. I mean, there's just not a lot of 
it's not definitive. I'll say that. So it's it's up in the air of whether it could be or couldn't be. So Warren, you're no, usually I mean, the I, naysayer. I, I buy that. Yeah, I know. Usually you're yeah, I'm shit canning your fan theories, but uh, mm-hmm. no, I dig it. it. Usually, every time you are, I'm kind of surprised right yeah. now. You give me all right. Well, so we we haven't seen the 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 the, the, the sequel yet, but I'm wondering if there'll be some some sort of tie into that uh, the, the White Witch, which that you have to know they exist because Winifred said White Witch, but you actually didn't get to see them in the film. So. Who knows? And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Hocus Pocus. Uh, a Halloween cult classic, man. It's going to live forever. I will just kick it right there. I mean, it's a, the most special category a movie can get into. And this is an unlikely candidate. I mean, it was not a hit at the box office. Critics shit canned it. It, it, it became, a, uh, it's like time t- tells the truth with art and that's literally the case with hocus pocus as time has went on it's it's more popular now than ever i don't know how that's possible but it is well, uh, so we, we talked about this a little bit with wizard of oz a couple seasons ago it's like came out in the theater you know great that was the 1930s didn't gain a lot of traction but because it's it got the television rights got you bought can't compare this movie to wizard of I, oz. give me a second it's coming around okay hang on a moment it, as far as quality and classic value but, well no, no no i'm not even talking about that it's just they're just different times different movies different, different what, what, what i'm it's saying is it's thing. a film wizard of oz had five directors it's I mean. a film that gained a life through television syndicate through, through being watched yearly through on television wizard of oz gained traction through generations of people experience it on tv watching it on uh, cable television. Because again, an annual event film. Yes. And I think you compare, I can you compare Wizard of Oz more to, I would say, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Those well, two okay. are more uh, You parallel. can, but I... You, you got to put, no, Hocus Pocus goes into the category with Beetlejuice. It goes to the category no, 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 with, no, no, with no, no, movies no. that get popular okay. on cable. It goes in the category with like Karate Kid, movies that just were on television over and over and over and over but and over But it again. wasn't on television over and over and over again. It, it only comes on a certain time of the year. Uh, you know, back in the day on ABC family, they had 13 nights of Halloween and they would show hocus pocus. That's where generations it's still on. It's called 31 nights of Halloween. Now it's on a channel called Freeform, but that's where people watch it. And that's where they, the generations have come. It was a timed event television that's how it became a cult classic. Yeah, you was, probably compare it more to a Christmas movies. It's like Halloween. Yeah, movies. It's a, a holiday it's an film. Yes, yes, event. yes, yes, Yeah, exactly. you watch it once a year, like a Home Alone. Right. Yeah, as far as like Karate Kid, those others, those were like, they were just kind of on TV whenever. But this is a specific time of the year. It became a cult classic through 13 nights of Halloween. That's how I discovered it, watching it on ABC Family. You'd like, I don't know what this is. You check it out. You mentioned the sequel, which is what, eight years in the making, Hocus Pocus 2. Now, by the time this podcast has come out, the movie's out. Uh, I can't believe they're just now capitalizing on the property. But uh, if you look, they had, what, the um, 25th anniversary in 2018, the uh, mm-hmm. Hocus Pocus 25th anniversary Halloween bash. And then in 2020, the cast reunited and, and, and performed again uh, in search of the Sanderson sisters, a Hocus Pocus Halloween takeover that was uh, done virtually uh, due to COVID-19. So leading up to the sequel, there you could see how the sequel kind of got some traction and got a little gas uh, because they were doing these other events leading up to it. Well, I mean, Disney saw that there was money to be made. Let's be, let's be honest mm-hmm. here. I mean, you know, there was a, the, the great thing about it is, is that um, Kathy and Jimmy, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Bette Midler, they were all on board. They're like, yes, we love doing this film. We love the characters. We, we want to do it again. Uh, so I'm happy the, the film comes out September 30th. Um, again, 
we're recording before that. So when this episode comes out, I think the movie will have been on Disney Plus for five days. So I hope it's good. I hope I really do. I hope it's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so whether or not it will become another Halloween cult classic remains to, to, to be determined. We shall see. We shall see. I will ask you all this, though. We talk about our the, the films. You know, Kim, you say spooky season starts September 1st. Uh, and and I get dragged into that early. I'm a willing, willingly <laughs> willing dragged into it. Yeah, willing participant. Thank you. So, Kim, for the spoopy season for Halloween films, what are your top five films that you you just feel like you got to watch every single year around this time? Hocus Pocus is the number one. Like, number one, okay. You know, we wow. watch that. We watch it every wow. year, and I, and like I said, I watched it every year at least once a year. Now, that's my number one out. as well. Yeah, I mean, just for sheer personal. Replay that. I mean, how many times I've seen it? That's number one for me as well. Yeah. Uh, number two, and these are all like really close together. I, I, I know you're you're you're, you're splitting hairs hard. here, and it's a personal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we we know. Um, Beetlejuice. Nice. Uh, Interview with a Vampire. Oh, okay. Um, the Craft. Oh, wow. Nice, nice. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh huh. And then honorable mention: Sleepy Hollow. Oh, very nice wow. list. I love that. Yeah. Uh, for for me, Hocus Pocus was one. Nightmare Before Christmas, two. I mean, that could be Halloween or Christmas. It kind of straddles the line there. Three for me was Rocky Horror. Four, and I guess you don't think of this as like a spooky film, but I I kind of associate it with that labyrinth. That that's I know that's like an all year all, all year around. It's all year for me. Yeah. I'm all about it. Uh, five was Beetlejuice, and then my honorable mentions was. Just because it's classic, it's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and Ghostbusters. For nice. Me. Yeah. Okay. So with uh, with when it comes to Halloween spooky season for me, I tend to go with the classics when it comes to horror films because there's such a good horror films hard to make. Number one for me, oh, no, I'll, I'll reverse it. Okay. Okay. Number five, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger. All right. Number four, Rosemary's Baby. Number three, Carrie. Oh, geez. Number two, The Exorcist, and number one, Halloween. Wow! So you went just like Damn, very classic, the classic horror yeah. films. Yeah, got to man. I mean, those are my favorite. Those are the ones I watch in spooky season. Well, uh, those are, earlier those are Warren said he really wanted to see the darker version of Hocus Pocus. It all makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I, uh, honorable mentions: Get Out, It. Friday the 13th, Scream? Okay. Yes. Come on, Scream. man. Yes. Scream. Okay. Scream, yeah. man. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, for us, I mean, that was, that's, that's we, you know, we, a lot of these movies came out We don't really do, like, the stabby Scream. Like, the slashers. The meta slasher film. Film. It's yeah. meta. Yeah. We like the more of the spooky, mysterious, jump scare. What's your favorite scary movie? Hocus <laughs> uh, Pocus. Uh, okay, Conan. Um, spoofs of the film: uh, the Hollywood Show, Hocus Pocus parody episode, uh, Robot Chicken, and of course there was a Hocus Pocus porn parody. Uh, oh boy! That, you know, yeah, <laughs> God. So, yeah, it's always the what the highest compliment. What, you, do you, you have the title? Right? I'm, I'm interested to see the title. I just think it just has Hocus Pocus XSX. Oh, with with oh, po- po- yeah. oh Hocus Pocus. Uh, got it. Got it. It. Now we did mention the, uh, the the film coming out. They do have an attraction the, uh, at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. The Hocus Pocus Villain Spectacular. If your film is featured at a, in a, at a Universal or Disney amusement park, chances are it's a really fu- popular fucking movie. Uh, 
that's just a that's just a that, that is an accomplishment in and of itself if you make it into disney world yeah that, that's immense yes absolutely uh, and they also had a 2016 book uh hocus pocus in focus the thinking fans guide to disney's halloween classic uh, which talked about a lot of the themes and like it did a, a from what i've read it does seem to be a, an interesting deep dive it took a lot of like it had some takes on what a potential sequel storylines could be. So, uh, Kim, we might need to get hmm, that book. I think that's, that'd be a good read. When you say get the book, you mean get the audio book. Oh, no, no. Kim Kim will read it. And then she'll tell me, and then she'll and tell then me all give about him, it. Yeah, the breakdown. Right. Give me the cliff notes. All right, Kim, as much as we love this movie, is there you feel like there's any like plot holes or anything that wouldn't work today? I mean, it's 1993. It's it's almost 30 years old at this point. Is Is there anything that wouldn't work today or something that just doesn't add up? Something that wouldn't work today is um, Max being, you know, pretty rude to Danny a lot, and not a um, good, good big brother. Yeah, it's kind of cringe. It's it's kind of cringeworthy because it's like she, you know, obviously they have that sibling relationship where you know it can be kind of love hate, but Danny obviously looks up to him and loves him, and he's kind of always like, ugh got to take my little sister trick-or-treating. This is embarrassing. But do you, you feel know. like it's it's somewhat realistic though? I feel like that's how it would really, really would be. Not necessarily a great role model as your, for, for your, from your protagonist, but it is how a teenager would be, you know, I guess. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm weird. Cause like, I loved my little brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, growing well, up. yeah. You're, you're, you're flipping it a little bit here. You have older <laughs> sister. I mean, Listen, Max is he's one track mind here, and it's Allison's Yabos. Okay, he doesn't care about anything <laughs> oh, else. And Yabos, like I just no feel one's like, ever used that word ever, no, other than hocus was, pocus. Yeah, and it's it's so cringeworthy when it's said. It's just like, yeah. Ugh. yeah. Okay, I agree with that. Uh, okay, uh, look, I mean, you start you you could split a lot of hairs with some of uh, some of the stuff. Um, one thing that gets me is when uh, plot hole wise, it doesn't make sense. Is when the witches are chasing him, uh, and and uh, Max is driving. She pull and the, and and Winnie pulls up beside him on the broom and's like, uh, you got your driver's permit or something like. That. How does she know what the fuck a driver's permit is? How she? I have no idea. That yeah, doesn't make any know? sense to me. Uh, really took me it must have just been an improv that they just threw in without thinking about it well they also talk about like margarine and which wasn't invented back in like the 17th century when they so okay so then they go to sleep right and then it's and then they wake up max and allison it's like oh my god it's five o'clock or whatever and it looks like the sun's come out and when they wake up it's kind of bright and then like somehow it stays dark for like 30 more minutes in the movie uh like when the witches are trying to fight for their survival like after they wake up in the 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 whole drama with getting the book like that is the longest daybreak i have ever seen like most any other movie uh, i've not seen them stretch it out like that they really push it it's daylight savings time simple as that <laughs> um so I, I have a plot hole and this has just never made sense to me so if you guys get it please explain it to me but it's the kiln scene so when um they lure okay, the witches off, to the school what is a kiln okay so in pottery no i'm just kidding class, <laughs> okay <laughs> so um the when, when they lure them um, to the school and then they lure them into the pottery kiln and they shut and lock the door and they're in there and they flip the switch, turn it on. The kiln is going to like burn them alive, which is like horrible and awful. Right. But what happens is um, it, it pans to outside shot of the school. So 
you have to assume they're burning alive. They're burning up. And then you see this like magical smoke go up the chimney and it just kind of hovers there. And then after a few minutes, the smoke just kind of like rewind. (laughs) And the smoke goes back down. Great Foley art there, Cam. Love it. So, (laughs) so what happens in that moment? Like, they just like uh, rematerialize and kick the door down. Why couldn't they just kick the door down at that moment? I think it it's pretty, it's pretty clear what happened. Um, Gary Marshall is really the devil. Uh, they made a deal with him there at his house and, you know, he gave him another shot. You know, it's pretty, okay. pretty, pretty cut and dry, Kim. I mean, how are you not picking up on this stuff? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, that, that's a great point because I never really understood that either. Uh, maybe it's a little suspension of disbelief. You just kind of yeah. like, ah, well, they're witches, whatever. Maybe it's the spell. They can't actually be killed until sunrise. You know, they, you know, who, who, who knows? That's a great point. It does plot wise doesn't make a lot of sense. So. All right, uh, we'll pose this to you, and we'll start with you, Warren, uh, just because I'm interested to see how dark you're going to pull for this double feature film uh, with Hocus Pocus. <laughs> what, what, what do you well, what no, do you, you match you gotta, up with? No, it's not necessarily going dark because this is a comedy horror. So you got to realize you well, can, all, all your favorite Halloween well, films gonna, are dark. Got a double so. feature, you got to pair it up with something. So I think the obvious one's probably Beetlejuice. I feel like that's a popular one to, to pair that's it with. A good one. Yeah. Uh, the Witches uh is is another one to think of uh, i my personal favorite probably would be the witches of eastwick uh i love that movie. it's a, like a little cult favorite keep, of my keep it in the, we, the witch the witch playhouse okay oh yeah man go in the witch playhouse have a have a witch day all right kim what about you what double feature what are you pairing with the craft the craft okay. oh nice also yeah. witches that's okay. very right. good me I, i'm just you know i'm keeping it in the the halloween comfort food uh vein and and just that i'm just Back to back best Halloween films for me. Quick watches, going Hocus Pocus, Nightmare Before Christmas. Just boom! That's, I could just I could watch those two films on loop through the whole month of October, mm-hmm. nonstop. It's great for me. And Jeff Shannon of the Seattle Times summed it up best when he said, "Quote: Hocus Pocus remains a delightful family comedy, spooky but never scary, as it romps its merry way through the graveyard." Unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Of course, a special thanks to Kim, uh, my lovely queen and lady wife, for joining the episode once again. Uh, of course, uh, our, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Kim, uh-uh. but Jesus. <laughs> uh, our recasting judge is Bob Thompson, produced, edited, and directed by Walter Pickles Productions, and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of son. Please be sure to follow the podcast, and if you like what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye! Bye. This has been a Waldo Pickles production.